pause in this place just for a second. And I want to, Eric, would you keep playing? I, I'm just, I'm really sensing something that I, that I know that the Lord is responding to. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for they will be filled. And when we come to him as individuals and say we're hungry, we're thirsty, he responds. And all the more when we come together and when we are corporately expressing our hunger and our thirst, I, I hear that, I feel that this morning, that the Lord is doing something. And we're saying we are thirsty. We're hungry, Lord. We want more of you. We want you at the center. We want, we want to be in that secret place with you living in your presence moment by moment. So I just want to pause and just receive from the Lord. We're hungry, Lord. We're thirsty. You're doing something this morning. We want to receive from you. in church, you, you, you know the drill, you know you know how the service goes. Maybe this is the first time you've stepped into a church in a long, long time. But the Lord has something precious to give you this morning. And Lord, this morning we say our hearts are open. We want you. Our mouths are open. Would you fill us? Couple of couple of things I want to put on your radar real quick for next week. Next Sunday is the first Sunday of the month. Does anybody remember what we do on first Sunday, of the, first Sundays of the month around here? Noah Pucci knows picnic on the common. So whether you want to bring a picnic lunch or pick something up at a restaurant nearby on Moody Street, you're invited to just rest and hang out and enjoy time together on the lawn of the, the Waltham Common uh, at the corner of Main Street and Moody next week, immediately following the service. Another thing I want to put on your radar, and I really want to invite everybody to participate in this. So um, a couple weeks from now, and this is not everybody's invited to DCF, but a couple, a couple weeks from now, we're going to put on a, a, a Sunday bar for the Department of Children and Families, our, our catchment area, our region in Arlington, uh, just to bless them. And, uh, you know, at the, at the beginning of the year, we had a, a luncheon for them, and we're going to do a little ice cream bar just to say we love you guys. And next week, there's going to be a big poster that says in big letters, thank you to, to DCF. And we want to invite our congregation to take time to write little personal notes from, from, the, from our, our church family just to thank the DCF uh, department. There's, there's about a, a hundred people that work in this particular office in, in Arlington that we want to we honor here in a couple weeks. So if you'd be willing to take a few minutes when you see that, just wanted you to know as you're coming in next week what that is. It's good, isn't it? We, we, have, we have a, a a deepening relationship with DCF, and it's a sweet thing, and they are doing amazing, amazing work. All right, I want to invite Phil Masterson up. Phil and his wife, Leslie, lead our uh, Antioch Discipleship School, and we have, he's going to honor some special folks here this morning. All right, well, if you did ADS this past year, come on up here. Sammy, Becca, Richard, Marla, where are you guys at? How many of you guys love all these people I'm inviting up? No, stand on the stage, please. Come on, right on up. 
I know, it's a big step up. Hey, we wanted to just take a little bit of this Sunday just to honor these guys uh, and just to say, hey, they did a, an awesome job this year, and it was a pleasure for Leslie and I to walk with them and see the growth and change in their lives. ADS, Antioch Discipleship School, it's a one-year-long program that every church, every Antioch church in America does, and we're committed to deep discipleship in people's lives. So if you love life group and are getting discipled there, awesome. If you love coming here on Sunday mornings and you're getting discipled there, awesome. ADS is kind of the, the highest level of like, hey, we want to invest deeply in you to see crazy change in your life. And so these four students, as well as actually Sarah Farley, who's in Indonesia right now, she couldn't be here. She's going to be here in a couple of weeks. She as well did the school this past year. So we just want to take a moment just to honor these guys. They came every single week. We have about eight hours of class a week. Uh, that they're coming and getting teachings, uh, applying those teachings in their daily life. We read through the Bible. We read books. Uh, we do discipleship groups together in ADS. So we kind of have eight hours together. And then they're also saying, hey, we want to serve in the church and in our community. So we hook them up with different uh, ministries in the church where they can kind of get behind and push those ministries forward. And so I think that all you minister, uh, pe many people here in life groups or even in the ministries here, I'm sure you felt the weight of these students pushing into those ministries. So, again, can we just do one more round of applause for these guys? Thank you, guys. I did, oh, I, I, and I, I wanted to say, Becca, some of the things that we learned about them over the year. Becca is a shepherd and cares deeply for people. Saw that this whole entire year. Sammy is a worshiper, and she learned incredibly about the Father heart of God. And now that's a message that she's going to communicate to other people. Marla is a leader and a communicator. She carries the word of God in her, and she can communicate with clarity, and it's compelling in the way that she communicates it so that people are moved to action. Richard is a teacher, and he gets a truth, applies it to his life, and then teaches others how to do it. So these are just the things that we got to see in all of them this year. So guys, so proud of you. Thank you for being here. You guys can go down. I'll give you a hug later. Uh, Richard, stay up here. Hey, another thing we do in ADS is uh, we do a, a trip overseas. And so we just got back from Morocco. Uh, the whole team went for two weeks. But then Richard loved it so much that he said, hey, I want to stay three weeks more. So he's got an awesome story of his time there uh, investing in this guy named Zachariah, right? Cool. So give us a story about ADS. Pump us up. We want testimonies from overseas that are going to pump us up to live out missionally here, right? So let's hear it. Thank you, Phil. Um, first, I want, just want to thank you guys who um, supported us and prayed for us. That we, I, I couldn't be there witness the God's work on the other side of the ocean without you guys. Um, so I just want to share a story of, uh, like, Zechariah. Um, I met him. Like, there was a day I would just, like, feel, like, physically drained. And then I just prayed, like, God, reveal yourself to me. Like, I didn't feel like I listened to you, your voice clearly. And then uh, I just feel like God said, like, wait uh, at 4.30 in front of a church. So I know that God talks about, like, a French Catholic church. So I just wait there. I got there a little bit early. I just worship there and wait until 4.30, and nothing happened. So I was about to leave, and then two guys approaching to me. So instead of I ask them, do you speak English? They asked me, hey, friend, you're lost. So <laughs> I, 
I, uh, I, I'm just happy like I met an English speaker that he speaks good English. Uh, I said, I, so he wears a Davis star, uh, which is like a lot of people there, they wouldn't like it. Um, then I learned a little bit of his story. He never viewed himself as a Muslim. Um, what he does, what, how he dressed, like people despised him. Um, and uh, he was actually reached by another missionary before. Uh, his name's Nathan, and he, I think he's from California. And he gave this man, Zach, a Bible. Um, and uh, I say, like, would you like to read the Bible sometimes with me? He said, yes. Like, I, have already, I already have the Bible. So, um, so that was awesome. I uh, opened up a scripture with him. First time was uh, Luke 15, prodigal son. He was very touched by, like, how, uh, like, we view God as a father, uh, that he never thought about that before. Um, and then we went to a trip, like, near uh, where we are, uh, and we took a bus there. And he always feel, like, motion sickness. And he said, can you pray for me? So I pray for him. He never feel like sick at all, like on the bus, going there and uh, coming back. And he himself said, it's a miracle. Like, like usually I sit on the bus, I can only like sit, like um, look straight. But now I can just talk to you. It was a miracle. And I said, you know, like Jesus loves you. He reveals himself to you in this way. And uh, next time I'm not going to be there, but you can just pray for yourself. And asking Jesus' name, and he reveals keep revealing himself to you. Um, that was just awesome. He has a pure heart to to be right to uh, to do um, good things, uh, but he still he struggle about like understanding how God can sacrifice a perfect God for sinners, and he's still struggling with that. But he's like willing to. Uh, meet up continuously with another long-term worker there um, to keep reading the Bible. So it's awesome. And I'm just so glad to see, like, God, God will keep, like, ministering him, even though, like, I'm back, but God is still there. Uh, and also, every one, another thing I learned is everything I do there, um, God is going to use it. Uh, even, like, Nathan, he just gave him the Bible. I can't, you know, meet him again and keep sharing like God to him. So it's just amazing that God is moving there. Um, yeah. That's amazing. Thank you. And thank you for letting Richard stay a couple weeks longer. I know that was really significant for the team there. So, hey, thank you for sending us out there. Again, the whole point of our purpose to go there was uh, to meet people, share the gospel, and pass them off to the long-term team who are interested in studying the Bible. So Zechariah, and then there's also this other girl. We have another cool testimony um, that we were able to pass off to the long-term team. So awesome fruit that we're seeing in Morocco right now. Well, Elaine, when you come on up, I'm going to introduce you. Uh, and, and I'll... I'll um, Pastor Sean Richmond, uh, this upcoming week is a, something called USCon. All the Antioch churches, all the staffs are going down to Waco to have a conference. So Sean is already down there. That's why he's not here this morning. But he asked Elaine to come and bring the word this morning. And how much, how, how, who, many, who loves Elaine Norcross? 
Elaine is on staff here at the church. She's working with the young adults. She has a powerful testimony. She's also a phenomenal communicator. And so they said, hey, we want to hear from Elaine uh, as she, we continue the sermon or uh, the series in James. So, Elaine, can I pray for you? Um, sure. Yes. Do it. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for Elaine. Thank you for her story. Thank you for uh, just all the things you've done in her life, Lord. I pray that you would um, allow her to communicate very clearly the truths and the testimony of her life to us that is going to exhort us to live a different life. Uh, following you. So we bless her in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Phil. Guys, I'm really excited to bring this message today and honored to be in front of you. Um, Typically, we see a man up here, and it's sweet to hear from somebody different, and um, I love our church. So, um, okay, so who wants to talk about pride this morning? Right? Yeah. Uh We can all laugh. So who wants to talk about humility? Yeah. And who wants to talk about grace? I'm going to raise my hand and say, I want to talk about grace this morning. So we're going to be in James 4 this morning, and I have the honor and privilege to bring the message on James 4. Um, and we are a community. James 4 is about pride and humility and God's favor being his grace. And we are a community that humbles ourselves because we know that when we humble ourselves and get in the presence of God, we receive his grace that changes us and the situations around us. So I also want to... Um, point out that I'm really glad we have our kids with us this morning because um, kids are able to humble themselves, receive forgiveness, and not three days later be in shame or guilt about what they did three days before, for the most part, right? And so we ought to take their example. And so as we're seeing them around and hearing their beautiful voices, we can remember that. So my hope is today that our hearts would be humbled and, and the Lord would highlight situations in our lives that we need to humble ourselves in so that we can receive his grace. And if you're in this room this morning, you are aware on some level of your need for God. You know, some of us have had life situations that have prompted us to more faith or more grace. You know, illness can do that. Um, Conflict can do that. Addictions can do that. And then other of us have practiced humbling ourselves and receiving his grace. So we are eager to go and humble ourselves and receive grace. And for others of us, it is hard to humble ourselves because it is. Our society preaches a self-reliance and a self-preservation that says, I'm all set. You know, I don't, I don't need you, God, in this situation or that situation. The gospel preaches something very different. Um, so that's my hope, that, that the Lord would highlight as I share my story, um, and as you listen, that he would highlight situations in your life where you say, yeah, I can choose humility here. So pride is having a wrong belief about yourself in relationship to God. Pride can look like arrogant pride. Arrogant pride says, um, I'm better than you. I'm better than God. I know better. And then there's inferior pride, which says, I'm less than you. I'm less than God. I'm not worthy. And we're not, but Jesus makes that possible. Um, So a little bit about me is I know pride very, very well. I still struggle with pride, so I still know it well. But I knew it very well in my past. And when I was growing up, I experienced some trauma that really changed the way that I interacted with the world around me. Um, and very, you know, growing up as a teenager, I was diagnosed with several mental illnesses that, praise God, have been healed now, Um, but back then were really hard, Um, and in this, Satan was having a field day with the lies that he was speaking to me, and I had inferior lies that said, you know, you are not worth protecting. You are not worth loving. Elaine, you will always need to strive to be better. You'll always strive to be perfect in order to be loved. You are a disappointment, was a common lie, Um, and these, these 
inferior pride lies are very um, familiar. I would, I would, you know, wager a bet that many of us have heard or believed some of these lies at some point. And then other lies, um, because when we're feeling bad about ourselves, we often try to compensate um, and make ourselves feel better. I also had arrogant pride lies. Some of my arrogant pride lies said, um, you know, I've gone through more than other people. I'm better than they are. Yes, I'm prone to anxiety, but my mind thinks better, faster than other people, um, so I'm superior to them, which also are untrue. So I had inferior lies yelling at me, and I had an arrogant pride compensating for how lousy I felt, and so I found ways to cope with lies and anxiety and an inaccurate picture of who I was in relationship to God. So I grew up stealing, sexually active, addicted to drugs and alcohol for nearly 15 years, and thankfully, a few years back, the Lord rescued me. He rescued me. He rescues us. Um, and I have this memory that reminds me of pride of being on the second floor of my apartment in college. I was down in Miami, Florida, and the, the weather's gorgeous. The trees are all green. And I'm going to open my door, and I hear a voice behind me, um, and it says, turn around, come back to me. And I knew it was God. I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up loved. So I knew God was real, but I, I didn't know that I could hear from Jesus. I didn't, I didn't have that relationship that we practice here, that we ought to as Christians practice. So back to the story. I am turning my key, um, and I hear, I hear, turn around, come back to me. And I turn, I turn back, and, and I said, screw you, to God. <laughs> um, I was so hurt and so rebellious um, that I said, I don't, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't trust that you want anything to do with me. Back off. Um, but the Lord was gracious to discipline me. And he was gracious to allow me to fall apart in my sin um, until I realized, apart from him, I can do nothing. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Um, so I'm sober nearly four years now. And yes, I celebrate sobriety, but I more so celebrate that the power of Jesus breaks chains over addiction and anxiety and pride and selfishness. Like There's nothing outside of his scope or ability to heal. And in recovery, I have had um, quite a bit of experience having to choose, making a lot of choices uh, by his grace to walk out of a destructive lifestyle. And I know the value of an action and a challenge, and that's why I like James, because James is honest. He's brutally honest. And I appreciate that because when someone is really honest, sometimes it can be hard, but there's no pretense, right? And the other reason I love James is he's challenging us and he's calling us to action because he cares for us and he wants better. He wants us to be in the presence of God, fully surrendered and free, and that's what the gospel is, to be in the presence of God, fully surrendered, free, so that we can be effective ministers. So um, let's dive into James. So by now in James, we have learned that he's writing a letter. We're in James 4. He's writing a letter to the new Jewish believers, um, calling them to action because he's heard word of some troubling things going on. Um, and he, what he's doing is calling them away from a hypocrisy um, and to a pure religion, a pure faith that Pierce talked about back in the beginning of our series. And he has talked about godly wisdom, earthly wisdom. He's talked about um, gossip, slander, taming of the tongue. And in James 4, he's also addressing action, but he actually gets to the heart behind the sin. Why do we do these things? And it starts in our hearts. Um, and he talks about the solution, which is to humble ourselves, the opportunity we have to humble ourselves. So let's, um, let's go into James 4 and read it together. So James 4 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires of battle within you? 
You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you might spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. And that is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. That's the word of the Lord right there. Amen. So if this was a letter, let's pause for a second. If this was a letter written today to New England believers, I think it would go something like this. In a politically correct world. To the awesome believers in New England who are pursuing Jesus, have faith. Take courage and keep trying to follow the Lord. Think twice before you do this. Try not to do this. It's okay if you do this, but don't do it all the time. And if you disagree about sin, that's okay. The Lord loves us all. Be well. That would be a politically correct, unfortunate, watered-down message. And so I feel grateful that that was not the message given to us because what a challenge we would miss out on and what grace we would be missing out on. Amen. So the other problem of a 21st century letter like this is it allows us to stay looking like the world and acting like the world. And like I said just a second ago, we miss out on grace and we miss out on challenge, which is hard sometimes, very hard to receive. Um, but it's, it's for our best. It's good. Um, so when our concern lies with the world, we become friends of the world and our lives look normal, you know. Um, but when our concern lies with the Lord, our lives look very different. Uh, Chuck Swindle is a pastor, and he says about James 4, it is not a message to the lost, it is a message to the saved. And he's right. James is warning believers. He's warning us, church, believers. And church, if we are not living in freedom, we miss out. We miss out on freedom this side of heaven, and the people who would see us living in freedom also potentially miss out on what they could see in the transformation they could have. So, um, so James is posing this question. Hey, where does your primary allegiance lie? Is it with the world or is it, or is it with the Lord? Where, it, where does your primary allegiance lie? With the world or with the Lord? So as we go into this passage, I want us to picture a path um, and where there's two directions. I keep gesturing, and this will probably make more sense now. I talk with my hands anyway, but uh, to my right um, is pride. I could walk on a prideful path, or I could turn around. I could walk on a humble path. There's two directions here, um, and I'm going to define pride. I'm going to give us some examples of what to be thinking, pride and humility. So pride, turning to my right, is doing things your own way. It's thinking you're right. It's thinking you're set. Oh, God, love you, but I don't really need you here. Like, I don't need you in everything. It's, you can have my workplace, but you can't have this addiction. You know, you can have, you can have, um, you can have my marriage, but I'm going to hide this place of my heart. It's picking and choosing. And it's believing you are anything other than what the Lord has called you and told you that you are. It is unforgiveness. It is bitterness. 
We choose pride any and every time we don't allow the Lord into our circumstances to humble us. And humility on the left is not, I'm unworthy. Actually, it's quite the opposite. It's believing that you are what the Lord said you are. You are a child. You are set free. You are new. Humility on the left is knowing who you are in relationship to God. You know, you are God. I am not. I trust you with this situation. I trust you with my son, with my daughter, with this relationship, with my workplace. Lord, what would you have me do or not do? Lord, what would you have me think or not think? I trust you today. I humble myself before you. And so James is calling us to this path, and he's saying, you have two directions. There's really only one way. There's really only one direction, but you have a choice. So we're going to go back in, and I'm going to break up the scripture piece by piece. We're going to get into, okay, what is the Lord trying to communicate here? So back to verses 1 through 3. You'll put them up on the screen there. Cool. Um, so, as, so James is addressing actions, which is fighting and quarreling as a way to examine the heart attitudes, the um, wrong motives, the selfishness, the coveting that causes the fights and quarreling. And as he follows this rabbit trail back from fighting and quarreling to the selfish motives, he is proposing that underneath fighting and quarreling is a heart issue, right? It's a selfish heart. It's a prideful heart, which makes loving your neighbor really difficult when we are selfish. The greatest commandment is unable to be carried out. So I'm going to um, restate it here for you, and I like to use some gestures. Okay, so what causes fights and quarrels out here? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires, the battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may get what you spend on your pleasures. So he's really trying to get to the fact that behind some of the issues, behind the issues of our lives, not all, but many, is a heart issue. And I hear this, and I think within a conflict, wait a second, you mean to say, James, that the person who's really to blame for this issue, I mean the person who's really at fault here, is not at fault? You're saying it's a heart issue of mine? You're saying it's my issue? <laughs> no, no, no. Don't go there. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> and that's a place of pride. That's where he wants us to see here. When we get defensive about our issues like I just did, we are in a place of pride. Whether it's internal and people can't see it or whether people see it on the outside. So sitting in a place of pride, right, if God's over here and humility's here and pride's here, sitting in a place of pride creates a barrier in your relationship to God because you've turned your back on him. And it's saying, I know better. I, I really know what's happening. Um, yeah. So church, there is nothing that we can do to fall out of the Lord's love for us, but we can place things in the way of our relationship with God. And when we place things in the way of our relationship with God, like choosing pride, we miss out, like I've been stressing, we miss out on his favor and we miss out on his grace. Are you with me so far? It's great. Can we say it together? Humble. Humble. It's great. Pride. Um, all right, so James goes on in verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. An enemy of God. It's a really strong statement. You know, but you could say, hey, I'm, I just, I'm saved. I know Jesus. I'm a child of God. Maybe you just became a believer. How could I be an enemy of God? And I think James is not trying to necessarily scare us here. Maybe, but I don't think that's his purpose. I think he's saying, hey, the outcome of your choice is huge. It's an enemy of God or a friend of God. 
And then the word adulteress, that makes me think, you know, why did he have to be so aggressive here? And I think he had to be aggressive because pride is hidden. Pride happens in places of our hearts that we, it's really easy to overlook. And it happens in secret um, where adultery would happen. So really there's a fair correlation there. And I think he sees the danger of our pride and how it begins in secret, and he's pointing out to get our attention. But the solution here is to turn towards God, because when we are facing towards God, and we are remembering what he's done, we're in his word, and we're remembering, you are God, I am not, it's pretty darn hard to be prideful and think we know better when we are remembering who he is, what he's done, and who he says he is. So why else would we humble ourselves? Verse 5 says, Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? He is not okay sharing us. He wants all of us because he loves us and he sees the choice of that road rightly, as James says. And it's not a passive choice. And they, they, God sees that and James sees that. We are being pulled in two different directions daily. I have my selfish desires down this pride road to be liked, to be seen a certain way, to do things correctly. And then I have a, the new creation in me who's, who wants, hey, I want to be humble. I want to be others focused. I want to take good care of myself and know my value, but I want to be selfless. I used to think, okay, yeah, fine, there's two rows, great. But what about indifference? I'm in the middle. Hey, I don't, I just became a believer. Why do I need to make a lot of choices? You know, I don't really have time. I, whatever your excuse is for not obeying the full ask and humbling yourself there, I'm indifferent. Here's the problem. Indifference is not often what we think it means. Indifference means lack of interest, concern, or sympathy unimportance. Indifference doesn't mean I don't have a strong feeling either way. It actually means I don't care. I don't care enough to make a different choice. So are there places in our lives, are there places in your lives that you do not care to let God in on? That's a place of pride, and it's saying, I don't care, whether it's from hurt, whether it's from not trusting God will meet you with grace, or it's just defiance. It's saying, I don't care, I know better. And it's setting ourselves up to fail because we can't do, we can do nothing meaningful without him and his help. So James gets us to this raw place and we're thinking like enemy of God or friend of God, adultery um, or friendship. And then the climax, the climax, the next verse is, but he gives us more grace. And that is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And that is his promise. James is saying, this is how it works. If you choose pride, God will oppose you. But if you choose humility, oh, the Lord will favor you. So let's take a minute and unpack oppose and favor. Opposition happens when we are turned away from God. He doesn't reject us as the world would, would think or say. It's very different. But he does discipline us. When we separate ourselves, we experience loneliness. We experience a lot of we can experience sin, a lot of negative emotions that we weren't made to experience apart from him. And we're left to our own vices and issues. And when we're turned away, we miss out on his favor, <laughs> his grace. In the New Testament, grace and favor are actually the same word, and it's charis in Greek. The definition of charis is an act or manner of graciousness. And I like the Webster's Ninth Dictionary. Um, grace is defined as unmerited divine assistance given man for his regeneration or sanctification. 
grace is meant to bring us new life and to change us. Does anyone else want that? Like, <laughs> both hands, I want that. Um, more grace, to be more like him, to be closer to him. So in case anyone is thinking, you know, how could I come close to God? Maybe you are not yet a believer or a new believer or even, I think this sometimes, you know, why, why would God want to come close to me? Why would he want anything to do with me? Well, let's look at why grace is important. So here's how the Lord responds to sinners. Because we often, we often fear rejection when we bring our sin before God because we take our situations with our parents, with our friends, teachers, and we, take, we pick them up and we say, this is, God, this is what you're going to be like. You're going to reject me and you're going to do this, this, and this thing. And that feels very real, but it's, um, it's just not reality and that breaks his heart. So for sinners, God justifies them by faith in Jesus. Romans 3.22 says, This righteousness given through faith in Jesus to all who believe, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Faith is hard, but man, what a, what a gift that we don't have to do anything majorly magical in order to be righteous in his sight. It's faith. That's a precious gift simple gift that can feel so hard, but it's simple. He makes us right to God and united to God by faith, not how pure we are. And then also he loves them before they repent. In John 8, a woman is brought before Jesus to be stoned because she was caught in adultery. And there's a whole group of men around her, and Jesus says, okay, you know, all right, so whoever has not sinned, cast the first stone. The men walk away. And the Lord says to her, he says, um, so Jesus stood up and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't any one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. He forgave her in her sin. And it was his grace that released her to live a life out of sin. It was the grace that empowered it. It is his grace that comes on us when we humble ourselves before him that allows us to be changed. Now, we don't get to follow up with her, but it was his grace that released her from death into new life, right? His grace empowers us to change. And that's the God we're dealing with. We're dealing with a God who says, hello, Elaine. Hello, Elaine's junk and crap and trauma and past. And I love it when you humble yourself to me. Hi, I can do amazing things with you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he's just like, I want to wrap you up and say, hi, everything about you, come near to me first, and I'm going to change you because I can do great things with you. That's our God. Yes, thank you for the amen. <laughs> it's worth an amen. This is who he is. He came for the sick, not the well. He came for sinners. He came for us. So if we are assured we're going to be met with grace that purifies us and changes us, how do we humble ourselves? In uh, verse 7, we're going to do the next chunk. It says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter. I got lost. Change your laughter into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. This is the self-help portion of the gospel. If you went into Barnes & Noble, and you pulled a book off the shelf that said, how to humble yourself. This is what would be in it. So submit. We don't use that word much today, 
But submit means to accept or yield to a superior force or to an authority or will of another person. So I told you I came from a life of addiction. And I still choose daily to submit myself to God. I have to choose daily. And here's how, here's how I do it. I wake up in the morning and I imagine a light beam coming from heaven, like a sunbeam coming down from heaven. And I'm outside of it. And I say, I, I get inside of it. If I can find sun, which now I can't, it's summer. I step into the sun coming down from heaven and I say, God, today I'm in your grace. Today I humble myself before you. Today I submit to you because I can't. But you can. I trust you. Thank you for your grace. And I feel the light on my body. And that is my way to humble myself because if I don't, I will be indifferent real fast and I'll be really prideful, which is the same thing, faster. <laughs> that I just, I know myself. And I, I think that's, if we do not remind ourselves and submit regularly, we will be prideful and turning away from God. So what's next? Um, resist Satan and he will flee from you. We resist Satan by becoming mindful of our coping mechanisms and choosing the opposite direction. We do this with scripture. We do this with accountability. This right here is a whole other sermon. But we say, excuse me, we say no to the world's way of coping and yes to humbling ourselves before God. In verse 8, it says, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Church, in the same verse, we come near to God, he comes near to us, and then we cleanse ourselves. We do not need to clean ourselves up or change or fix before we come near to him. When you come near to him, he comes near to you. That's a promise. And after you're near one another, after you're humbled, then he says, wash your hands. And his grace that is on you because you've humbled yourself empowers you to wash your hands. We need to be humbled before we can be changed. We need to receive grace before we can be changed. So the ball is really in our court there to humble ourselves, but there's a promise that we're going to be met. And no one can humble you. First Peter 5.5 5 says, um, humble yourself, not be humbled. Right? It's not a, oh, Lord, will you humble me? He does humble us by circumstances, but it's, a, it's an active. I'm going to humble myself. I'm making this choice because I know that there's something better. And then he goes deeper again, like in the beginning, he, with the fighting and quarreling back to the issues in our heart. He goes deeper again with purify your minds, you um, purify your hearts, you double-minded. And what he's saying is stop sinning, whatever the sin. Come near to me. Let me come near to you. Stop sinning, whatever the sin, and then purify your mind where the sin begins where the distrust with God begins. Verse 9 is, Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter into mourning and your joy into gloom. This is a picture of a godly sorrow and a worldly sorrow. A godly sorrow brings about repentance, and a worldly sorrow brings about shame and a repeated behavior. So if you have been walking in sin, it is appropriate for you to grieve your sin because of what it does to your relationship with God. You have been separated from him. That makes him, you know, he, he's... He's so excited to see you. He's eager, but you have been separated. It's appropriate to grieve that. Versus a worldly sorrow that prompts you to grieve and be upset when you get caught or when your life circumstances get so overwhelming because of your sin. You know, this, like, who's been there in the past? Are you freaking out because of all the junk that's here? And you're just like, I'm freaking out because of the junk, but I don't really want to make a choice. That's a, that's a worldly sorrow. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Get his perspective. Remember who he is, what he's done, and who you are. I feel lighter when I've humbled myself. 
I feel lighter because I no longer have the responsibility to fix my life and to change my life. I know who I am in relationship to God. He's got it. I get to be his child. I get to obey and do what he's called me to do, but he's going to take care of the rest. That makes me feel lighter. Friends and family, we were made to face the Lord. He created us with a purpose to commune with him that is made possible by Jesus' blood. This is our purpose. This is really where we're meant to be. I love John 15, 15. It's about being a friend. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, for a servant does not know his master's business. Mm -mm. Instead, I call you friends. For everything I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. He made it possible to be friends and humble ourselves. And he made it possible to be friends. So, friends, I challenge us to accept this challenge, not as I have to. I have to humble myself. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go home. I have to figure this out. I'm going to get in my journal. Oh. And as I, I get to, I get to humble myself. I get to mend this relationship and not a, oh, crap. I've got to fix this. I've got to humble. I've got to confess. I've got to, oh. It's hard. I challenge us to, towards that, I get to because I know his grace is going to cover me and his grace is going to change my heart and it has the power to change situations and to redeem relationships, and to free me from this addiction, or give me perspective on this work situation. Because our intended purpose was to be here, and he's going to empower us. Humility begets breakthrough. That's what it does. Pride, super hard road. Humility begets breakthrough. So I hope everyone's been able to think of some area of their life that would benefit from humility. And I'm hoping the Lord has highlighted that um, and that we're going to be able to go back after this sermon and use the model that James gave us, the model that the Lord gave us, the Holy Spirit gave us, that we got to talk about today. And, and this, in, in a minute, we're going to have a response time. And this is your way to say, I'm going to humble myself. Lord, I want to partner with you. I want to receive your grace as I humble myself. So where? Where in your life? Let his grace touch your heart and change your situation because God opposes the proud. He, it's harder to work with someone that is prideful, but he shows favor to the humble. He's going to show you grace that's going to empower you. So I, if I could have the band come up. Great. So I have people who know my story, my past of addiction, and they ask me, Elaine, don't you miss it? Don't you miss the drinking, the promiscuity, the drugs? Like, really? You're a Christian now? You know? And you know what? I say, no. The answer is no. In the beginning, I did. It was hard. It, totally hard. But I've tasted something better. And if I, were to, if I were to choose those things, that would be escaping for me. That would be escaping. But I choose this, and I've tasted this, and I know his grace because I've seen it for myself, and I've seen it for countless others, and I choose this. So no, I don't. I don't. And amen. I miss out when I have my back turned, but I get lots and plenty when I have my face turned towards him. So addiction may not be your story for lots of us. It is, but it may not be your story, and that's okay. 
there are still places in our hearts that we need to be humbled. All of us, all of us. The Lord wants to liberate us from a situation or a, a wrong belief in our lives. So what is it? Is it um, inferior pride? Is it a hurt that is, feel free to, pray, to play when you're ready. Um, is it inferior pride? Is it a hurt that is causing an arrogant pride? Is it conflict at work? Is it tension with a friend? Is it tension with a friend who might be in this room right now? Lord, where do you want me to humble, where do you want to humble me? Where do you desire more freedom from the Lord? And where can you choose humility and ask the Lord for help by surrendering and receiving his grace? Um, I love it when the Holy Spirit connects um, insight from praise team and then prayer from Brandon's heart um, with, you know, Brandon said um, something about the water, like just being, being wet with his grace, being under the faucet and um, it's our choice to get under the faucet. The Lord turns it on. He makes the water flow. That's all him. But we have the option to get under it. Lord, I need, I need help. And get, get specific with God. Because it's his promise. It's there. It's not dry. We are dry when we're out, not in it. And there is a promise for peace and hope. His kindness leads us to repentance. And I can assure you, if you need hope, I can talk to you about hope. There is such hope when we humble ourselves, and there's a promise of peace. One way we humble ourselves is to come forward. Um, I'm sure everyone's going to respond in their seat. But one way we just say, I really don't want to go forward, is we go forward and we ask for help. Asking for prayer is an act of humility. It's a way to say, okay, fine. You know, or yes, okay. All right, so will you pray with me? Lord, you care about our hearts. You are not just after our actions. You are after the deepest parts of us because you want us to be free. You do not want us for a second longer to miss out on the transformation in our lives and the situations around us, the people around us. But Lord, right here in the stillness of our hearts, before any of that comes about, any of our thoughts about anything other than you and us, you care. You care about that deepest part of our heart, whether the sin is outright addiction or an inward, I'm better than X, or God, you couldn't do this. I don't trust that you could fix this. <sighs> yeah, Lord, we choose you today. We choose hope because I can speak hope because it's happened, and it's happened again and again and again. Jesus, we align with you today. as you respond, ask the Lord, hey, Lord, what is the situation? Great, Lord, I come to you with the situation. Lord, will you sit with me as I sit with the situation? Lord, what do you want to speak over the situation? How do you want to tell me that you love me and are proud of me for coming and saying, I was prideful. I blamed that person. I was wrong at work. I continue to sin and engage in this addiction or this behavior. Y'all, because you're going to receive his grace and you're going to receive his changing power when you remember who he is and what he's done.